Welcome to the Business Maestro with Kerry Wood, talking all things development, growth, team harmony, and getting the best for you out of your business. Every week, Kerry auditions industry leaders, business owners, and individuals who have increased the tempo on their business growth. For a direct line to Kerry, join the Business Ensemble on Facebook. Here's the thing. Kerry is straight up and straight down the middle. There may be some politically incorrect stuff coming your way. If you're into the no-bullshit type of learning, then this podcast is for you. Hey, welcome on board. Kerry Wood here, the business maestro, the Auckland Centre of Business Excellence. We're about to start a podcast, and this is a spectacular podcast. We've got an author who, well, I'm going to say probably can looks like he can tell the future. We've got an author with us today who's going to uh, light the fire under the current situation in the world, who's got a, a personal mission to educate uh, the people in New Zealand, people in the world about what we could be doing better, and and and. At the Auckland Centre of Business Excellence, we're about education, about growing, about being the best people we can and running the best businesses we can, having the best families we can, being just the best we can at everything we do. Now, you'll know if you've listened before, sometime in the next 20, 30 minutes, someone's going to use a bad word. Someone's going to say something out of line, and it's probably going to be me. And so if you're you're a little bit of a powder puff or you don't like that, then best you bugger off now and uh, press pause or or go because... um, you know, I'm going to say something wrong and you're going to be offended. So once again, this is Kerry Wood, the business maestro, and it's my great pleasure. And and it is a man I've known for a long, long time in many guises, uh, author of The Sea Cliff, lay all the way from the massive Hawke's Bay. Welcome on board, Mr. Andrew Harris. How are you today, my friend? I am very well indeed, and it's sunny in, sunny in Hawke's Bay. Mate, it's a beautiful day here in Auckland, and uh, just a timeline. This uh, we just heard this morning. There's another lane open on the Harbour Bridge, so all is well in the city of chaos. All is well <laughs> in the city of chaos. Anyway, Andrew, hey, look, we've known each other a few years now, and you, you a little while ago, you made 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 your made your your time and and, 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 and investing in the world and uh, recruitment consulting. Now I understand you're still doing a bit of that. So what, what what are you doing down in the mess of Hawks Bay other than drinking wine and causing trouble? <laughs> well, li- living the life, living the the Kiwi dream. I mean, uh, we lived in Auckland for ten years. We never got onto the housing ladder. Um, but in Hawke's Bay, you can actually buy a house and enjoy life. So I like to think of it as the middle of everywhere rather than the middle of nowhere. The middle of everywhere. Well, Andrew, uh, I'm, I'm going to share with people a little bit about this book I have in front of me, and then we'll talk about what drives you and all that. But I'm, I'm going to read the second page, uh, which actually has got no, not many words on it. The second page has got all, obviously the ISBN number, but then underneath that it's got text by Andrew Harris, which is you, and then it's got a date. What The date was, what was the date, Andrew? The date was 2016. And I, I, I can, I, I'm reading that, Andrew Harris, 2016. And then I'm going to read, actually, I'm going to read the back cover because this is, this, this, when I was reading it and, and I read it, read through it again on the weekend, I want you, this is, a, this is a book by Andrew Harris called The Sea Cliff. And by the way, this isn't a, a bloody book review podcast. This is a business podcast, but, but a little bit about the book and about Andrew and about, listen to the back page, the, the back cover of this book, The Sea Cliff published in 2016. Faced with an epidemic of 13 million new cases of cancer, the World Health Organization has offered a reward of 7.5 billion for irrefutable proof of a scientific cure. 
Leading American oncologist Dr. Hannah Sakakovsky discovers a secret buried in a London research laboratory that will change medical science and raise new questions about the cause of the disease that could save lives of millions of innocent people. But she is not the first to make the discovery. Now Hannah's own life could be at stake as she uncovers acts of cruelty perpetrated in the name of medical science and faces a life-threatening dilemma within her own family. Andrew, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and this book is a little mm. bit about a conspiracy, but in 2016, mate, you must have been looking in a crystal ball because it's 2020 and we've got a, a, a pandemic, an epidemic, a, a virus thing happening that mirrors a lot of what you're saying in this book, The Sea Cliff. So, so Andrew, as a, as a starter for 10, tell me tell me what we can learn from what's happened in the past and wh where we can go in the future with, with, with cancer and viruses and, and, and what lights your fire in those regards. Well, the, the thing is, the, the, one of the questions I ask myself is who's in charge? You know, when that book was published in 2016, there were 13 million new cases, new cases of cancer in the world. Last year, that's gone up to 18 million, and it's rising every year. And you, you ask the question, well, well, who's in charge? When are we going to find a cure for cancer? When is this 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 terrible abuse and suffering and death going to actually change? Because I don't think we're looking for a cure. We're not looking for a way of preventing people getting cancer. We're looking for ways of keeping people alive and, and going into remission and so on by selling them more and more expensive drugs. And I can't fault the pharmaceutical companies for doing that because that's what they're there for. But at some point, someone has to stand up and say, well, we've got to do something about this. Okay. So... I'm going to, if you don't mind, Andrew, and I know you, I'm just going to broaden this a little bit. So, so who's in charge? I mean, I suppose that's really about who's in charge of the, of the health of the, of, of the world and the human race, really, isn't it? I mean, the, yeah. the, vir the virus we have now and the flu and AIDS and cancer um, and obesity, they're all problems that a man created. I mean, if you go back to, well, not, I don't know, Roman times, you know, we never had any of that stuff, did we? So no, we didn't. No, we didn't. No. And, and it's getting worse. You know, we don't have a cure for Alzheimer's. We don't have a cure for Parkinson's, diabetes. You mentioned AIDS. They've been working on a vaccine for AIDS since 1983. We've known about AIDS for 37 years, but we're no nearer a vaccine now because there's not enough money on the table that we're going to have a vaccine for COVID-19 because there's so much money at stake. So you're putting the, the future of our species in the hands of a free market economy that's there to make profit. That, that's simply it. And we're all now dependent on a free market economy. So who's in charge? Who's, who's making the decisions? Interesting parallel with this. I mean, I've now, I'm now a Rotarian and a fully committed Rotarian. And Franklin D. Roosevelt was a, obviously the American president and he suffered from polio. And he stood up and said, this is ridiculous. I want to eradicate polio from the world. He made that commitment. And he said, the way to do this is to raise the money to hire a scientist and get the vaccine and vaccinate children against polio. So he actually stood up. He said that he set up something called the March of Dimes in America. And in the 40s and 50s, it raised over 230 million US dollars. And they hired scientists and they found a bloody vaccine and they eradicated and they started to eradication of polio from the world. So if you look, if you look up Jonas Salk, he was so convinced about the vaccine that he created that he stuck the needle into himself to prove it. And yep. then we had a vaccine for polio and slowly but surely we've been eradicating polio. Now, is the same happening with cancer or Parkinson's or diabetes or epilepsy or any of these other diseases? No, it isn't. And I think until somebody stands up and says, it's time we did something about it, 
then these things are going to carry on and just get worse. Okay, we, we Andrew, you, yep. you you know me well enough to know that I'm probably going to say something inappropriate about now, so I'm just going to run with that. That's all very damn well, my friend. <laughs> You'd disappoint me if you didn't, Gary. <laughs> so, but but in, we don't live in utopia. So what you're saying is that if we put enough money behind it, we can cure anything. Yes, we can. Yeah, there, is, there isn't a problem that we as a species haven't been able to solve. And where there's the determination and where there's the leadership and where there's the money, we can solve any problem. And we've proved that throughout history. Another interesting parallel, uh, which is also in the book I'm writing now. By the way, you've got the first book in the series. There's two others followed. But anyway, um, another interesting parallel with, with flight, powered flight. The first aircraft was flown by the Wright brothers in 1903. Within 66 years, we put a man on the moon. Why? Because there was competition and there was money and there was leadership and a determination to learn to fly. We can do anything, but we're not solving these problems because we've left it in the hands of the free market economy. Okay, if, if I was asking a bad question, I'd be saying that the people who are making the money, being the drug companies, don't want the bloody questions, don't, don't want it solved. Of course they don't. And then again, an interesting parallel, that cancer has been so successful because it protects itself from the immune, immune system in the, in the body. So it's able to spread and wreak havoc and death and destruction and so on. It's doing the same in our society. We don't want to talk about it. Nobody wants to know that 24 people die in New Zealand every day. And as soon as you raise the issue, people look away. And we feel that by raising money and giving it to someone else and hoping they do something is the answer to the problem. Well, it isn't. It's just going to get worse. And that's the way it's going. Sadly, that's the way it's going. Interesting. In, in this uh, day and age where, or in this particular week and month and a little bit, how, uh, you know, 27, I think is the number currently have died from uh, the latest uh, virus, COVID-27. And we've put, you know, billions and billions of dollars into the economy. And as you say, 24 people a day die from cancer. And we, we do... Do, do Absolutely. Squat. So when we were in lockdown, 22 people died of COVID-19 and another 1,500 people died of a cancer-related disease. Some of them my friends. And we've just got to sit and watch this happening. And, and whenever you speak to an oncologist or a medical researcher, they tell you how complicated it is and how much research is going into it and how much effort. And I don't deny it. I don't think these are bad people. I just think there isn't this, this, the determination and the leadership there to solve these problems. I just pick cancer. But also, as a layman, um, if I wrote a book that said Andrew Harris thinks there's something wrong with cancer research, who's going to read that? I've had no medical training. I don't have the qualifications. But if I wrote a, a crime fiction book that had action and adventure and conspiracy and um, murder scenes and romance and all the things you'd find in a crime fiction book, then people would read the book and enjoy the book. But there is another book between the lines. There's a non-fiction book between the lines. So there is actually a for cancer in the book. But... I don't want to spoil it for anyone reading it. <laughs> um, it's actually like one of my favorite books, and as you know, I'm a business coach, and I always get my clients to read um, uh, Animal Farm. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's Great quite book. funny. When I've got, I've got a, I've, I, you can't buy the bloody thing. There's one for you. Anyway, I've got a dog-eared copy of Animal Farm, and, and it's different but the same. I always get my clients to read it. And they, read, and they say, why am I reading this? It's a dog-eared, ugly-looking book. I go... If you want to work with me as a business coach, read Animal Farm. And they look at me and they shake their head and they, I won't say exactly what they say, but short mm. words, you know, yeah. and they read it. And then they come back and 50% and of them get it, 50% don't. But then you have a conversation about it, about, you know, um, pigs becoming men, men, you know, and, 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 yeah. and the story yeah. behind, and you, 
it, it takes about 30 seconds of explanation and um and they and you can see you can actually you can hear the bricks in the head going chunk 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 yes chunk, chunk. well that's what i'm hoping with this i mean i've had people say i read the book that's great thoroughly enjoyed it when's the next one out and that's fine people are reading it but the, i've had other people come back and say yeah you raised some points in the book that made me really think you know you made me think about what are we doing and who's in charge i mean why hasn't the world health organization put up a prize to find the first scientifically proven cure for cancer. Why haven't they done that? And I don't know, but one day I hope to get the opportunity to ask them. Because it seems to me like a perfectly sensible, logical thing to do. These people are money motivated. So offer them money, seven billion, seven trillion. Does it matter? There's people dying out there needlessly. And I'm sure we can do better. Thanks for that, I understand that, Andrew. Now let's talk about something you've just raised about the World Health Organization. You know, the world is not a harmonious place. The Russians hate the Americans, who hate the Chinese, who hate the Pakistanis, who hate the South Africans, who don't like the Namibians, who link, you know. So how do, how do we, as a, as a, as a, as a species, as, as a World Health Organization, how do, we, how do we go forward to make this, you know, to do this? Well, um, I've always believed that the people get the politicians and the leaders they deserve. Oh, so right. if, if, we, if we appoint people who truly represent our views that say, right, we want an answer to this. We want to eradicate cancer from the world by 2030. And we will vote people in who, who believe that they can achieve that and are going to work together and do it and harness the resources we've got. Then we vote these people in. Now, in some countries, they don't get a vote mm. uh, in communist countries and so on. But in the majority of the world, the free speaking world, um, democratic world, you can vote people in. And we've got to find the politicians that represent our views if we're serious about it. If we're not serious about it, then we're going to get the politicians we've got now. And they're bickering and squabbling and arguing. And, and this COVID-19 pandemic, which we've all known was coming for, for 20, 30 years, they've been predicting this for the SARS virus and the, you know, the, the various flu things we've had. We've known this was coming and we've done nothing about it. We've talked about it and done nothing about it. Now, this virus has no respect for who's at war with who and who hates who and who's this and who's what color and what religion you are and all the rest of it. It's slowly but surely wiping us out. And it's, you know, unless we pull together and stop, stop all this squabbling and bickering and arguing, then, you know, we're doomed. We're heading towards a sixth mass extinction event. And, you know, we'll all sit and look at each other and say, oh, that's a shame, isn't it? <laughs> well, so, so how do we, I mean, if, if you or I rang for parliament today, Andrew, and yep. said, we're running for parliament, we're going to, we're committing to, like John F. K. did about going to the moon, yes. uh, like um, um, Roosevelt about polio, you know, that, that yeah, sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, that's, and that's exactly it. That's exactly it. You know, John F. Kennedy stood up and he said in 1961, I want a man on the moon by the end of this century. I don't care, uh, by the end of this decade. I don't care what it costs. I don't care if that, don't tell me we can't do it. Do it. Just get on and do it. And they did. They came in in July 1969. But mm -hmm. America was behind in the space race at that time. Yep. And they pulled out all the stops and they found the ingenuity and, and they did it. So why can't we do the same with this? I understand that. So where are the economic and business imperatives to have this? Let's say Kerry Wood, me, tall, dark, handsome, good-looking business coach, runs for yep. parliament. And I go, yep. look, this is what we're going to do. We are going to make New Zealand the health epicenter of the world. We are going to, within... 10 years generate a cure for uh, the three major causes of cancer this is where are the business where is andrew 
this supersedes, supersedes, I mean, like you, Kerry, I've grown up in the belief that, you know, a company is there for the, to maximize the return for its shareholders. You know, that is ingrained in our DNA. And I can't argue with that. But we're now at a, a stage of our development in society where that doesn't work anymore. It's no good. It doesn't, it's not going to help us move forward because by, by focusing totally on the economic um, issues and by focusing on profits and so on, then there's not going to be a world, you know, we are dangerously close to the edge. Um, and everything's telling us, all the indicators are telling us that we are close to the edge on climate change and on, on viruses and, and various other pandemics and so on. Unless we stop this, this sort of squabbling and bickering and arguing, there's going to be nobody left. I mean, what are you, what are you going to say to someone if there is anyone in 300 years time? What are you going to say to them about what we did here now today? What, what are we going to say to them? I understand we're going to that. say we're very sorry, but we were too focused on making money. I understand that, Andrew. Um, yeah. My argument, my argument, my discussion, my point is that the human race usually generation only only looks at ourselves for a generation when we're making decisions and when our government's making decisions um you know they make decisions everyone in the human race we make decisions on our on our lifetime on our generation no i disagree uh, i disagree with you on that okay. you know in, in napier there's a there's a line of trees on the on the marine parade in napier and they were planted by people who never saw them they were planted for us yep. they were planted for a future generation when alexander fleming looked into that Petri dish in St. Mary's Hospital in the laboratory in September 1927. He looked into the dish and he said, that's funny. That's funny. Those are the, those are the two words that started the biggest breakthrough in medical science that we've ever had. The first antibiotic. Yep. That's funny. And he, and, he's, and he didn't patent the processes that followed. He didn't, he, he, his words were, this is my gift to the world. Everybody should benefit from what we've discovered here today. He didn't think or oh, rub his hands and say, whoa, I can make a killing on this. And that's what's happening today. They're looking in the Petri dish and saying, we can make a fortune out of this. And, and that's the difference. Our attitude has changed somewhere in the last hundred years. And unless it changes back or changes to something else, um, we're doomed. We're absolutely doomed. And I, I can't sit here and watch this happening. I've got to do something about it in a way that's credible. And writing crime fiction books is a bit like Animal Farm. It's it's palatable, it's credible, but there's a hidden message. Yep. Okay. So I agree. Yep. So how do we how do we initiate change, my friend? Yeah. Well, we initiate change by putting in charge people who are actually going to deliver the change. So so the first question is who's in charge? I would have, you know who gets fired? Who gets fired if we don't find a cure for cancer? Um, at the moment, there's any number of people called head of cancer research. And they're not going to get fired, um, you know, because no one's expecting them to find an answer. So we, we've got to we've got to change that attitude, and we've got to put people in charge who are actually going to make a difference, who yeah. are going to deliver some of this. And there's any amount of conversations. If you look on the internet, there's any and YouTube and so on. There's any amount of remedies and opportunities and things that are just ignored because it doesn't fit corporate line and it's not going to make money for people. Yeah. And we've got we've got to break out of this mentality, or we're doomed. Thanks very much. I understand that. Now I have a. Can we can we just go left about five degrees here? I'd like to. And you know, we're talking about say, not, we're talking about doing stuff for business, different business mindset, different humanity mindset, and all that. Okay. So, how do you, with what you think, how do you as a middle-aged 
successful <laughs> human resource consultant, successful author. Um, how do we deal with a penchant of mine, alter, what, what Western world calls alternative therapies? I'm a great believer in alternative, in other therapies, sorry. Please remove that word, other modalities. Um, yeah. For example, there's been, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, acupuncture, Ayurvedic yeah, medicine, yeah. music therapy has been around for thousands of years. What's your view of those modalities and all that sort of shit stuff? Um, you know, um, well, it's, I went to, I actually went to an open day at Auckland University Cancer Research Unit. Um, it must have been last year, the year before. Some, some listener will know. And, and a woman stood up there and she said, it isn't all about drugs. You know, we know there's therapeutic qualities in blueberries. We know there's therapeutic qualities in mushrooms. We know that we only, we've only classified 5% of, of spores, molds, and fungus in the world, and which is where penicillin came from. So the answer to some of these diseases could well be there. Um, we know there's, there's health-giving properties in broccoli, but we're never going to research them because there's no money to be made at it. This all comes back to money. You can't patent a mushroom. You can't patent blueberries. And so if there is therapeutic properties within a blueberry, no one's going to spend time and money and effort researching it. The money's going into developing pills and potions to keep us all alive. As somebody said, there's no money to be made in dead people, and there's no money to be made in healthy people. The money's in mildly sick people. And that's where the money's going. And that's where that's where it's a Pavlovian reaction. That's where the scientists and the medical research people are going where the money is, because that's where the funding is and that's where their livelihoods are. And again, I can't blame them for that. But the research we're doing now isn't pure research. Instead of following the alternative medicines and finding out what the properties are in blueberries, we're, we're putting money into the next generation of Herceptin, because that's where the profits to be made. And while ever we continue doing that, we're doomed. We're doomed. Well, I won't, won't quite accept that we're doomed, but but we have got challenges ahead, Mr. Harris. We have got challenges. Absolutely, yes, we got. And, and I, to be honest, I wouldn't be writing these books. I mean, the book I've published this year is called More, and it looks at addiction, it looks at greed, it looks at diabetes. I mean, the, you know, America every year. Well, last year, Americans spent three hundred and twenty-seven billion U.S. dollars on treatments for diabetes type one and type two diabetes, 327 billion. So hands up all those who want to find a cure and stop this. Whoa. You know, you're not gonna kill the goose that's laying the golden egg. And until we get past this attitude and this mentality, then this is gonna continue. It's just gonna get worse. So um, of most interest then is the, the fact that it's about money and focus, isn't it? Yes, yes. And our attitudes have changed. We've become more greedy, we've become more selfish, and we've become more arrogant. I mean, this is the first generation, I think, that actually feels like we know everything. Uh, you can put any subject you like into Google, press the button, and within half an hour, you're a world authority on something. We think we know everything. The previous generations didn't think they knew everything. They were explorers. The scientists, the Einsteins and people, they were explorers. They were trying to find out and trying to see what they didn't know. This generation feels like we know everything. And as a result, it's very, very dangerous, dangerous arrogance that we've we've developed in the last hundred years. And it's it's got to change. It's just got to change. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that uh, the Internet, Google, Wikipedia, those sort of things have a little bit to answer for. I mean, I just know in my my home life with my, my sons who are teenagers are 19 and 16, you know, to um, if, if you ask them to find something, 
uh, or, or find out something. Uh, you know, you can find anything on Google and Wikipedia, but you only get the answer that the people who run Google or Wikipedia want you to get. Absolutely. And yeah. And this is dangerous because this takes us back to Animal Farm and Big yeah. Brother and 1984. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I, I remember quite distinctly the other day we were we were talking about um, a stupid thing, stupid thing. We were talking about um, making a gravy, you know, a stupid, you know, lamb roast making gravy. And I said, oh, I'm going to make some gravy. And Alexander went online and typed in how to make gravy and it came up with a recipe and he turned around with his phone and he's um this is how you do it and i said well yeah. that's not how you bloody do it you know i've watched my mother who's not with us anymore i've watched her make gravy three hundred thousand times so you know I, I made gravy the way i always do and you know really unhealthily you know left the fat in the pan and threw in some red wine and threw in uh, made a paste with some flour threw that in there boiled it all up and uh, you know, put in a couple of a uh, bit of bit of some uh, pepper and a bit of salt. Tasted it. I, I have to say, Andrew, I thought it mm. tasted um, not Sounds too delicious. bad. Sounds so delicious. Yeah, but nowadays, bad. nowadays you'd be you'd be seen as abnormal. You're well, not Alec following. You're not following the trend, and the trend well, is this is how you make gravy. And if you step out of the side or out of that, then you're abnormal. And well, that's the, why that's another one we haven't touched on. Is is why why does New Zealand have one of the highest rates of suicide per capita in the world? And it's got something to do with people feeling out of touch, yep. alienated from their own lives and not in control. I make gravy a different way to you and you ridicule and bully yep. me because I don't follow the line. And it's just ridiculous. Well, the funniest so, thing about the gravy was Alexander, uh, when he, he took off immediately to go to the dairy to buy um, some lamb stock. Yes. Because you, you make lamb gravy with lamb stock. And I just... <laughs> <laughs> As he left, I was going to yeah. ring him and say, come back. Do you know what I mean? But I thought, no, bugger yeah. that. Yeah. But he came back with a little little, little box, you know, the lamb stock. And he's, oh, Dad, you put one of these in, in, in a cup with some boiling water. And I'm sitting there going, I've just cooked a $40 lamb roast, you know. But, um, yeah, so interesting, interesting stuff. So how do we as mere mortals, mere one man, one man, one vote, one man, one dollar, how do we, how do we initiate a change? Andrew, how do, how do we make Well, this, this is this is the question I asked myself. I said, right, I've got a choice to make here. I mean, I've had a fantastic life. I've had every advantage in life, every opportunity. Um, you know, I've, I've, the whole world speaks my language, et cetera, et cetera. So do I walk away? Do I turn my blind eye and walk away into the sunset? Because as you say, I'm reaching the end of my career. Um, and just say, well, look, you know, I've had a great time. If the rest of them want to go off a cliff, then, you know, what's that got to do with me? Or do I actually stand up and make a difference? Do I try and make a difference? And I decided, yes, I, you know, I've got to you put something back. I've got to try and make a difference. But how? How do I address an issue like finding a cure for cancer? Well, my answer is to write a really, really, really good crime fiction novel and get 30 million people to read it. And then hopefully somewhere by sparking that debate, someone somewhere is going to say, why haven't the World Health Authority put up a prize for the cure for cancer? Why isn't there anyone in charge of this? And some of the research that's mentioned in the book, and there's a ton of research in the book, why hasn't some of that been followed through? Um, you know, what are we doing? Are we just tolerating this? Or are we going to do something about it? So in effect, that's my way. And I'm going to write a series of books under the title The Human Spirit Series and address some of these issues. I mean, the second, you touched on this before, the second book in the series was about poverty. We've created poverty. You know, there was no poverty. If you look at India and Africa 100 to 200 years ago, there was no poverty. Um, they lived happily. Now we've created it.
Now we've created human trafficking and prostitution and slavery. Slavery's back with us. You know, we've got to change our attitude. And somewhere along the line, someone's got to stand up and say, this isn't right. You know, they, they, in the 19th century, Wilber, William Wilberforce stood up and said, this isn't right. One man should not be able to own another man. This is not morally right. And they stopped it. Someone here has got to stand up and say, it is not morally right that we are introducing slavery into the horticultural industry in New Zealand um, and, you know, picking fruit with slaves. And that's what's been happening in some cases. So we've got to stand up and say, this isn't right. And we've got to stop it. Just stop it. Okay, so if, but how can I? How can, how can I do something? Yeah, well, yeah, you can, you can, um, you can, yeah, you can start the debate. You could stand for, stand for prime minister. Why oh, don't you Christ. stand for government? And there's another, there's another problem. You know, you get people in in public service. Um, the people you want in public service are people who have run successful businesses, who are entrepreneurs, who are inverted commas capitalists. But those people, like you and me, don't go into public services because we know it's it's too frustrating and it's a graveyard. It's a one-way ticket career-wise. Why, why aren't you running for council? Are you running for government? Because someone like you should be standing up and saying, well, this isn't right. We've got to do something about it. And I actually have the wherewithal and the vision to do something about it. Yes, I think that, um, I think that uh, the way politics work, I'd get crucified because... Well, exactly. And, and say it's a barrier to entry. And, and, and so you end up with the people... Um, <laughs> you end up with verticomers, the wrong people in the place, you know, it's, um, yeah. how, how are you going to change it? How are you going to change it? Yes, I, I, it's quite funny. I, like, as you know, Andrew, um, yeah, I understand that. Thank you for that. Um, as you know, I, I have strong views. I'd actually, I'd, I'd enjoy the challenge, but we've all got an interesting history. And the last thing I'd want is, uh, is someone who I had a conf conflict with one, two or five years ago, going to the paper and going that I did this because, you know, some you are your history and um, we live in a different time. Uh, you know, I, I feel for my sons and my daughter about the media, social media. Yes. Uh, you know, my son was at university uh, last year in, in, in a town in, in, in Dunedin and he was down there when there was that tragedy and that the young lady was tragically killed in that party and you know i'm not i'm not going to discuss that yes but i rang him that next morning i said because i know where he lives and i know that where he lived you could look up the road and see that 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 premises and i said where were you were you at the party and he said no dad i wasn't and your heart just starts beating again you know because you think this day and age, if you go back, you and I, you know, I'm older than you, but if, you know, when we used to get into a push and shove in a bar somewhere after a couple of beers, someone would push you and go, "Oh, Andrew, you plonker," a little other word probably, and you'd walk and and then, or you'd have a fight on the rugby field. Then afterwards, you'd be in the bar and have a couple of quiets, and it'll all be now. You know, you, someone's going to stick a knife in you from behind, or the person you're going to be having an argument with is going to be high on P, methamphetamines, or something yep. like that. Yeah. And I, I've always said to my sons, remember, win all your fights by 100 meters, and if in doubt, leave. If any doubt, if you've got any, just leave, bail. And I said, because, you know, in this world now, you know, you only have to. I had an incident happen at a little restaurant in Takapuna. A few months ago, my daughter went to the to the to the, the lavatory, so she wandered off to the lavatory through the restaurant. 
and I waited five or ten minutes. She hadn't come back. So, you know, bloody hell. You know, she's ten. Bloody hell, where's she been? So I wandered up, and I was standing... I was standing by a table and looking at the men's and women's toilets. And this guy came out and he looked at me. And then it dawned on yeah. me, here's this middle-aged yeah. white guy standing outside the toilets. And I went, yeah. oh, sorry, mate, I'm just waiting for my daughter. But he was looking at me and I'm sitting there going, I'm not doing anything wrong here. I'm yeah, just, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then this lady yeah. walked towards me and I said, hey, when you go in there, I'm just looking for my daughter. One of you could just yell out, are you here? You know, are you here? So she went in the door and she was, fortunately, she was a good tart. You know, she, she walked and said, yelled out my daughter's name and daughter yelled out. And she came out and said, yeah, she's just washing her hands. But isn't the world a crap fight when a father's standing there thinking, I wonder where my 10, 11 year old daughter is and wanders there. And then he sits and goes, oh, actually, you know, if you, you're walking down the road and, and, a, and a young lady or a young man falls off his bike and you bend over and you help him and you pick him up and take him off the road and put him on the grass. What sort of bloody pervert? Are you? I, I can't get my head around a lot of that social media. Well, when, um, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons we moved from the UK to New Zealand was for that reason. You know, we were we went on holiday somewhere in the UK and saw a car broken down by the side of the road with a woman in it. And my first reaction was to stop and get out and try and help. And then, then this, this sort of other voice inside your head says, well, hang on a minute. You get out, try and help. You could be accused of rape. You could be accused of this. You could be accused yep. of that. The best thing for you to do is just ignore it, turn a blind eye and drive past. And I had the conversation with myself that said, I don't want to live in a country where I, where I, I even think about that. I want to go to a country where people will stop and help you out and so on and so forth. And that's one of the reasons we moved to New Zealand. But sadly, as time goes on, I'm seeing New Zealand turning into the same place where it's best to turn the blind eye. It's best to walk away. Well, let, let me ask you a question. How many kids at your school committed suicide? Uh, when I was a young fellow. When you were a kid, when you were at school. Yeah, <laughs> no, one. No. no one. How many were depressed, clinically depressed? Oh, none that I know of. Oh. None that you know, he's right. Yeah. How many were self-harming? Oh, honestly, it would be again no. zero. Yeah, zero, that's right. And, and you know, mental health, mental issues and so on. So it was the same at my school. I mean, these issues were never discussed because they were never, they never cropped up. They didn't exist. So somewhere between your, you and me being at school to today, these have become issues. And something has changed in our society. And, oh. and we've got to identify that and, and change, either change it back or change it into something else. Because these kids are suffering. You know, these oh. kids are suffering. I'll, I'll share a story. You'll love this. And, and, and I know we're fast approaching the end of our time and I know you're busy. Uh, about seven or eight months ago, a year ago, uh, there was a thing on the, on the radio to be careful because in a suburb in Auckland, there was a white van driving around and we should all have our daughters inside because it was just white van and no one knew what it was doing. Yeah. And of course, at that time, my wife was beside herself. Where's our daughter? You know, there's a white van somewhere. Anyway, that was fine. The very next morning, I was lifting to talk uh, Talkback Radio, uh, uh, 1ZB, and the uh, and the announcer said, "Oh, she was very, very nervous because as she was walking to the um, to the building, she noticed a van parked on the side of the road, and the van wasn't moving, and she thought someone in the van might be watching her. And she walked to the building, and she built this entire like she then had some adverts, and then yeah. she said, oh, and I got, I started walking faster because I was getting really nervous, and I'm sure there was someone in the van that was watching me. Then we went to adverts." And, and and I didn't know what to do, so I got to the door, and I got to the door, and as I got to the door, I was, I, was, I, could, I couldn't put the code in, I couldn't put the code in because I was so nervous. And then we went to adverts. And then she said, I opened the door, and as I opened the door, I seen that the guys hopped out, and it was um, it was guys moving, uh, delivering uh, milk and, and stuff to the dairy. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I, I, I rang and I went apeshit at her. I said, it's bitches like you who cause me grief. And she said, I don't understand. I said, my wife would have listened to that this morning and gone, there's a white van. Every white van's got someone that's going to abduct my kid. And I've, I say, you know, it's, we, we, we actually, in my opinion, we overprotect our kids, which stops them from doing shit, which Absolutely. stops them from learning and experience. Absolutely. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah I agree entirely. They're overprotected, they're mollycoddled, um, and it's not healthy. And that's one of the problems. They, they don't build up the resilience and, and the self-determination and, and the, you know, the, the self-confidence. It's, 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 they're overprotected, and I, I agree. And again, something has to change on that. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Look, yeah. Andrew, we're fast approaching. So, can you, look, tell us about. We, I've got here the sea cliff, and you haven't sent me the other ones. Sod, <laughs> sod. Um, <laughs> right. So, so tell me about the books that back up the sea cliff. Tell me about the. Right, ones well, the sea the cliff is the first one. There's yep. a romance that runs throughout the book. So, um, I had a literary agent uh, for a whole year, a lady who used to work for um, Random House Books, and she read the book and said, Andrew. I'll be your agent. I will try and get this book published. We spent a whole year. We wrote to every publisher in the world. I mean, I've got more rejections than J.K. Rowling. Uh, and none <laughs> of them were interested because they weren't interested because I'm an unknown author and I haven't been a journalist and I'm not a club member and I've written this book and it's a bit left field and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, in the end, I set up my own publishing company and published the book. So The Sea Clef was published in 2016. The following year, I published a book called A Litany of Good Intentions. My, my editor said, Andrew, I love the book, but I don't like the title. And I said, well, write your own book, because that's my title. But it's called A Litany of Good Intentions, and it's about the eradication of poverty and slavery and human trafficking. So it's set in India, but again, it's an action-adventure story. And then earlier this year, I published a third in the series, which is called More, and it's set in South America, and it's about diabetes, addiction, greed, um, and, and, you know, and climate change through destroying the rainforests and, and so on and so forth. It, it's great. And currently, I'm writing the fourth book, which will be published, I'm hoping, in March next year, uh, which is about taking fossil fuels out of the aviation industry and how we can actually do it. So it's, it's you know, it's, a, but again, it's an action adventure, thriller, romance. So anyone can pick it up. Anyone can read it. It's not full of scientific jargon. It's, a, it's an action-adventure story. So the people who read Lee Child books or read, you know, John Le Carre books or whatever will feel very comfortable just reading this. But if you look closely between the lines, there's another book. There's a non-fiction book in each book. And that's, that's the bit that I'm hoping sparks reaction and gets people saying, yeah, hang on a minute. Uh, you know, why haven't the World Health Organization done something like this? So how do we get these books? Where do we go? You get these books. These books are on Amazon. If you look up Andrew Harris on Amazon, uh, there's a website, uh, www.andrew-harris.net. Uh, they're available in, in, in some book, independent bookshops. Uh, but if you go into Whitcools or go into Paper Plus and ask for the book, uh, it's got an ISBN number. They can order it. Where The books are registered with Wheelers, the wholesale distributors. Uh, and they can get hold of the copies of the book. So anyone who wants a copy, and failing all that, they speak to you, you speak to me, and I'll post them one. Uh, but the books the books are generally available. Mm, okay. Andrew, look, thank you so, so much. What a massive amount of food for... I'll start that one again. Thank you very much. What a massive <laughs> amount of food for thought. It's quite interesting in... Um, 
in, in my world, working with the business community, I always tell people, you are what you read, you are what you eat, and you are what you what you think. You know what the what, what's that saying? What the what the what the mind desires, the body becomes. You know, uh, so yeah, it's 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 amazing. Um, I, had, I had a lovely quote on that. Um, you know, you are what you eat, but I just don't remember eating a legend. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Oh, no. also some humour in the books. Yeah, bit of no, that's that's great. I um, I thank you very much. Now, what I'd like to do is I'm gonna I'm gonna send you an email and get copies of these books, and obviously you'll you'll send me an invoice, and then I'll pay them. But what, what if you're up for it? I wouldn't mind reading them in, in a few months, getting you back, and and, and actually getting a little more in depth on how we do this. Well, I say that, Andrew, is in a few months, we'll be over the hump of this farcical pandemic we're in and, and, the, and the political response. Um, by the way, that's the way to ruin a dinner party. Throw a, throw a uh, start discussing <laughs> unless, that. Unless America's invaded Russia to get the vaccine. Yeah, which exactly. Is whole, which opens up book five of the series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and they're daft uh, enough to do it. Well, the, and with, here's the thing. Prediction. Here we go. Prediction. Online, um, Mr. Harris, will Trump be re-elected? Yes, he will. I've been yes, saying he, and, that. Sim- and for the simple reason, he's putting money in enough people's pockets. Yep. He's, he's sussed the system. If you put money in people's pockets, they'll vote for you. I've been saying for two years that he'll get re-elected. And it's, Absolutely, it's a real, yeah, yeah. It's a real... Um... The, sad, the sad thing is, as an observer, there's 350 million Americans... And these are the best two they could find. Yeah. I mean, come on. It's it's really <laughs> really interesting. Um, you know, when you when you when you at a dinner party or in the pub and you and they go Trump 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 and you go, well, I think he'll be re-elected. And yeah. this is what happens. You go Trump, I think he'll be re-elected. And then there's nothing. nothing <laughs> Everyone no, just looks no. at you and goes, what sort of dork are you? I go, there's two things. Yeah. One is he he actually, he, I think that six. A percentage of what he says, only a small percentage, is actually what ninety percent of right right thinking people think. Absolutely. He doesn't say it the right way. He doesn't use the right language, and he's a bit of a an orange. Well, he head. could he could say black is white, and forty percent of that population will believe him because it's because yep. he's putting money in their pockets. Yep. This all comes back to money. It all comes back to what we said before about attitude. If your attitude is I'm here just for me and to make money then you know, we're all doomed. We've got to change this attitude. Interesting quote to finish on uh, that I came across researching for the book I'm writing now. Winston Churchill, Winston Churchill once said, uh, you can always rely on the Americans to do the right thing after they've tried everything else, which, which I thought was an absolutely priceless. So I've, put it, I've put it in the book I'm writing now, but uh, good lad, and, and that's exactly what they're doing, doing everything but... Right Mr. Thing. Harris, thank you very much. This is Kerry Wood, the business maestro. Been a bit of an interesting one today. A little bit of uh, stuff you need to think about, but that's what it's all about in the world. You need to be thinking. Here is a thought to finish with. You can listen to what people say and you can reject it. And that's a great thing because at least you've listened to what people say and have made a cognizant, reasonable decision to reject it. The fools in the world simply don't listen. Kerry Wood, Auckland, Centre of Business Excellence, the business maestro. We'll catch you on the other side. Thank you very much. If you took something away from this podcast or if you know someone that is on their business journey who will find this really valuable, be sure to share this wealth of knowledge with them. And don't forget to subscribe however you're listening to this. And if you're a business owner who needs a bit of oomph, join the Business Ensemble on Facebook and continue today's conversation. 